We invite you, church, to open up God's Word with me this morning to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. We're journeying through this portion of the Bible, and we come today to Nehemiah chapter 6, and with the Lord's Supper or communion later in our service, our kids are invited to stay right here with us for the duration of the service. Patriotic songs move us, don't they? They stir us. They stir us with a shared sense of community and unity, identity, and camaraderie. And rightly so, as citizens of a nation, it's enjoyed and does enjoy many freedoms. Prayers that we just sung, acknowledging God's guidance, acknowledging His grace, and asking Him to continue it for the glory of His name. My country Tis of the sweet land of of liberty. A song that's been sung, I think sung the first time, in 1831. I learned that this week, thanks to Dr. David Llewellyn. Thank you for sharing that. 18th, this has been sung nearly 200 years in this, this country. And likewise, songs of praise, hymns of praise to the God who saves, to the God who reigns, to the one who is supreme and sovereign over all, who is the Lord of the nations, ought to stir us and move us, leading us to sing with a shared sense of identity and unity and harmony and camaraderie for the glory of Jesus Christ. And the reason we do so is because we know the character, good and gracious and compassionate character of our God. And we come to know Him through His Word. And so let's... Let's come to know Him. Let's come to the Word and let's invite Him to instruct us, to speak to us today. We're in Nehemiah chapter 6 today. We'll go out on a whim here for just a moment. I know we have kids remaining with us. Any of our kids want to help me for a moment read a couple verses? Come on up here, Joshua. Thank you. Thank you so much. Come on up here. I'll give it up for, for Josh for coming to read this morning. Let me get you... I'll tell you just a minute, Josh. Thank you so much. And as you're finding your place in Scripture, Josh was already found his. Thank you, bud. As you're finding your place in Nehemiah chapter 6, let me invite all of you to join me standing for the reading of, of God's Word. So I'll start us off, and then I'll, I'll invite you to read a couple verses. You know what this is? You ever use one of these? You have. You're right. He was in the VBS play recently. Yeah, this is this is a pretty neat device. When you speak into this, usually people listen, right? Sometimes they they still snooze, they still doze off, but but usually not when they're standing. So you've got an advantage here. We've got them standing. All right, Nehemiah chapter six. I'll kick us off, and then I'm going to ask Josh to help us. You're going to read verse three. It's going to be the first one, okay? Just verse 3, and then I'll tell you the next one after that, okay? All right, let's hear from God's Word. It says, When when word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono, but they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. 
I am carrying on a great project and cannot go. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sinbalat sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. Verse 8. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up in your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehedabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. But I said, verse 11, should a man like me run away or should somebody, somebody, someone like me go into realization that God has not sent him, but he, that he has prophesied against me because Tobiah and San, Sanballat hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadia and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 Days. Last one, verse 16. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the, the help of our God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him, since he was son-in-law to Shechaniah, son of Era, and his son Jehoahanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechiah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and then telling him what I said, and Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. And we give God thanks this morning for the reading of his word. You may be seated. Joshua, thank you so much. I've got a gift for you for being willing to read this morning. And that's this book. It's everything a child should know about God. And so here's the deal. You got to take this home. You got to ask mom and dad or older sister to read it with you and to you. Does that work? Mm-hmm. I've been needing a new devotion book anyways. Praise the Lord. All right, so we've been leaning into this story. We've been reading this story for several weeks now, and it's a fascinating story in God's Word. I would encourage you, if you've 
missed or even if you've been here, go back and read this story. Read how this story is unfolding. And remember that Nehemiah has been a servant in a foreign land. He's been in Persia serving the king of Persia, Artaxerxes, as the cupbearer to the king. And he finds out that Jerusalem's in shambles, that the walls are broken down and burdened and broken over this. He cries out to God and he feels led by God to approach the king and ask for favor to go back to Jerusalem and to lead in rebuilding the city's walls. And so today we come to this part of the story and the walls are up. They're up. The wall that God has sent Nehemiah to rebuild around the city of Jerusalem. Completed in 52 days, we're told. And when Nehemiah's enemies, who once said it can't be done, saw it done, they were scared. Because they realized, verse 16, that this work had been done with the help of God. The work was done with the help of God. Meadowbrook, I want to propose to you this morning that likewise the church will endure with the help of her God. The church will endure with the help of her God. Now you don't you don't have to look far and wide today to find dilapidated and empty church buildings in places that once housed worshipers on Sunday mornings. Places in the USA. In America the beautiful the sweet land of liberty, places like Boston and Chicago, places like Atlanta and Orlando, even right here in Birmingham. Right, you know this, the, the winds are changing. And many who once went to church don't anymore. But the church, the church, even the church in America, including the church in America, will endure with the help of her God. Now, I'm not talking about the organization or the structure or the name, but about the community of God's people gathered together, those saved by his grace and covered by Christ's blood, those purchased by Jesus himself and brought together as his people and loved with a forever love. She will endure with the help of her God. You see, America does encompass good land, land that I love. But it isn't the promised land. A good land, but not the promised land. We, we give God thanks for America, for the freedoms that we enjoy, for the protection of life, for the pursuit of liberty and justice for all. We should give God thanks for these things. We give God thanks and we pray these things would continue. That they would continue for generations to come. And yet as citizens of heaven, we acknowledge that as we do, even America the beautiful won't last forever. But you know what will? Do you know what God promises will stand the test of time? The bride of Christ, the bride and the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. How incredible to be part of something that lasts for forever. Friends, the church will endure with the help of 
her God. And be it 1776 or 2026, as long as the church is here, the church has gospel work to do. The church has gospel work to do. Gospel work is work done for God's name, according to God's promises, together with God's people. It's certainly not about building a name or reputation. It's not to say, look at us and what we've done, but to say, look at God, be amazed with God and see what he's done. And friends, isn't that what Nehemiah is constantly doing? We see a window of it even in this this chapter and one of the verses that, a couple of the verses that, that Josh read. Acknowledging what God has done, what, what he's been able to do, this servant of God, with the help of his, his God. Giving credit to God. Soli Deo Gloria. Glory to God alone. Good work is work done for God's glory. And Nehemiah is working for God's glory. And so when asked to come down off his wall, right? Did you catch that? When asked to come down off his wall to hold a conference with his enemies, a diplomatic discussion on the plain of Ono, Nehemiah says, Oh no, for he knows they're scheming to harm him. Verse 3, So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project or a great work and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? The text says they summoned Nehemiah four times. Four times in the same way with the same message. And four times he sent them the same answer. I know what God's called me to do. A great work for his glory. Participation in his exaltation. So I'm sorry guys, I'm busy serving the king. Friend, are you serving the king? Are you serving the king of all kings? Meadowbrook, are, are we serving the king? Or, or are we about something else? You see, the church has gospel work to do, and gospel work is motivated by his grace, a right response to knowing Jesus. Not a burden, but a joy. Not a duty, but a privilege. Don't you sense that in this story? I hope we sense that as we read this particular story, as we read the story of Nehemiah. I mean, here's a man who had it good. He had it good. He had it really good. Serving in the king's palace. Don't think cupbearer to the king was a lowly job. I think probably more akin to being in the secret service than serving tables. A trusted overseer in the king's house who left all of that for a broken-down city on the fringes of the empire, leading an undertrained construction crew to stack stones on a rocky hillside, surrounded by enemies. And yet this man says, I'm sorry, guys, I can't make it. I'm doing a great work. I wonder, church, how that might sound in our day. I wonder how that might be received by a baseball coach insisting that Sunday mornings are reserved for games and practice. I'm sorry, coach. I'm engaged in a great work. I wonder how it might sound to a potential employer. I'm sorry. I'm engaged in serving the Lord together with the people of God on the Lord's day. 
I don't know. And if you go try that out, it doesn't go so well. Don't blame me. But there's certainly a way to apply the truths of God's word in a way that exalts the Lord Jesus Christ above and beyond everything else in our lives. And may that be true of us. It certainly wasn't a great work because the world thought it was great. That was great because it was done from a heart enraptured by God and done for the glory of God. Friend, has your heart been enraptured by God? Have you been enraptured by the God of all glory? Have you tasted and seen God's goodness, His faithfulness, believing His power is matchless and His plans are eternal and that His love is forever? The church has gospel work to do. And what makes our work great, like Nehemiah's, is love for God's name. Do you love God's name? Meaning His character? His reputation. Do you love him? I I wonder how God might use a people like us. I wonder how God might use a people who love his name. A people in America who truly love his name because they've tasted his goodness and want to live for his glory. I wonder how he might use us to influence culture. I wonder how he might use us to reach the lost, to penetrate darkness, to reach the nations, to carry his gospel. I wonder how he might use the people who are committed to his name. But there's one who doesn't and who won't, not now or ever, a devil who hates God, who doesn't love him and makes it his aim to rob God of his glory. The enemy aims to rob God of his glory. See, the church has gospel work to do, and there's an enemy, an enemy to God, an enemy to his people, an enemy to the church who aims to rob God of his glory. And he's all over this story. He's never mentioned, but he's clearly present. He's lurking behind the triumvirate of Senbalat, Tobiah, and Geshep, opposing the good work of God's people who were preparing a place for God's presence. The enemy aims to rob God of his glory, wanting to halt gospel work. And he does so with persistence and tenacity. He doesn't give up. He's ferocious. He's characterized in Scripture as a roaring lion. And he's also described by Jesus as the father of lies. He's ferocious and persuasive. He's wicked yet crafty and cunning, aiming to rob God of his glory through lies and temptation. Through lies and temptation. That's the devil's M.O. See, under the sway of Satan, Senbalat lies to Nehemiah. Four times he says, come, let's meet on the plains and talk. And when that doesn't work, he takes another approach. He sends an unsealed letter. Unsealed to be sure it gets opened up and read all over the place. So that rumors begin spreading that Nehemiah is plotting to be king, that he's pretending to be king in the land of Judah. And so Sinballat pretends to be the mediator. 
saying, you know, you know, this is going to get back to the real king and he's going to be angry. Come meet with me and I'll help you get through this. Let's talk. I'll help you. You see, the enemy's a liar. He's dangling the lure of sin, of cheap idols, tempting the church to compromise, especially targeting, I think, leaders among God's people. This is why Paul tells Timothy that potential pastors or elders must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. A tempter, a trapper, a liar, aiming to rob God of his glory through lies and temptation and through intimidation and compromise. Through intimidation and compromise. When the letter, the unsealed letter, spreading rumors about Nehemiah, when it doesn't work, they hire a hitman on the inside. A prophet, so to speak, to, to lure him to the temple. To pretend that he's his friend, that he's there to protect him, and then to take him out. But Nehemiah's love for the God of the word led him to the word of his God. So he knew God permitted only priests to enter the temple, signaling that this prophet failed to prove himself to be a true prophet of God. Verse 13, he had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And the attacks... Just keep on coming. I wonder perhaps if some of you have felt like that, maybe feeling like that even today. Where one thing after another discourages you, gets you down. One hardship after another, as if everything is against you. That's no doubt the way that Nehemiah must have felt For Tobiah the Ammonite, whose family has intermarried with Jews, began using his sway to coerce some inhabitants of Jerusalem on the inside into treachery, trading intelligence in an effort to undermine Nehemiah's leadership. Verse 19, moreover, they kept reporting to me Tobiah's good deeds and then telling him what I said. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. Friends, do you think, do you think Satan still opposes gospel work? Do you think that Satan still aims to rob God of his glory through lies and temptation, intimidation and compromise? Absolutely he does. This is his game. Luring lonely leaders grabbing a hold of corrupt leaders, wolves in sheep's clothing, and secretly sending them into Christ's church. Sinballat's desperation fits Satan's operation, using whatever means available to oppose, corrupt, and destroy Christ's church and her gospel witness, be it government pressure to be silenced on certain issues, be it attackers coming from the outside, or be it liberal theology fighting or apathy on the inside, Satan aims to distract or to destroy those doing gospel work. And as I think about that, I, I can't help but think of prominent voices propagating false gospels. Things like the prosperity gospel, 
A false gospel that says if you just have enough faith, God will give you all you want in this life. Or think of prominent voices perhaps propagating some watered-down version of the gospel under the guise of reaching people and staying relevant. I think Satan's sway comes in so many ways. And friends, I fear Satan's attacks on the church in America today are much more subtle than send ballot schemes in Nehemiah's day. Or perhaps we're just not as keen on spotting them. For the enemy's working. He's scheming, plotting, perhaps persuading believers to adopt uncritical alliances to particular political parties. Perhaps persuading believers to to ground their views on social and moral issues, things like abortion, racism, marriage, sexuality, on personal feelings, your own or someone you love, rather than God's word. Oh, Meadowbrook, may we be a people of the book, of the whole book, reading with a gospel lens for the sake of God's name, because we believe his promises and we trust his character. Make no mistake about it. Plenty of powers oppose gospel work, pawns of the enemy. But you, dear children, you believer, you Christian are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater. He is greater than the one who is in the world. Paul warns the church. He warns the church to prepare for the devil's attacks. His covert opposition and his covert operations by putting their faith in Jesus Christ. How does he do so? Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, take up the shield of faith. After listing all of this spiritual armor that we're to take on ourselves, he says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You know how we do this? You know how we spot and counter the flaming arrows of lies and temptation, of intimidation and compromise? Here's how. Get on your knees. Get on your knees. Friend, get on your knees before God in prayer, before your God in prayer. Walk by faith in Christ. Did you notice Nehemiah's response? Verse 9. He says, they were all trying to frighten us. But I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. God, they're opposing me and opposing me because I'm with you. Give me strength to carry on. And he continues, remember Tobiah and Senballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadia and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. Like Nehemiah. Church, like Nehemiah and other gospel servants who've gone before us. And there have been many of them. Many unnamed servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, like them, let's be a people who get on our knees and pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Paul says, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. For the sake of the church in America. For the sake of America. 
for the sake of the world and for the glory of God. Believer, get on your knees. Get on your knees. And second, stay on your wall. Stay on your wall. You see, Nehemiah doesn't fight back. He doesn't get distracted with the enemy's tactics. He doesn't engage in a shouting match or get all worked up about conspiracy theories. But he responds simply, honestly, and directly, speaking truth and continuing the work, the particular work to which God's called him. And church, isn't that what we're called to do? To press on serving our king? To press on serving the king of all kings. Paul says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, the church will endure with the help of her God. How do we know? How do we know? Because the word of God tells us so. John writes in Revelation chapter 12, he says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser, who's that? It's the devil, Satan himself. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night. That's what the enemy is doing. He's accusing the people of God. It's been a history of accusing the people of God before God himself. He's been hurled down, kicked out of heaven. John says they triumphed over him. They defeated him. They triumphed over him. Our brothers and sisters, the people of God, the community of faith, the household of, of God's people, the church, the bride and the body of Jesus Christ. They triumphed over the accuser. How? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. In other words, you know how the church will endure? How the church will endure? How the church will persist? Not not by savvy marketing ploys or legislated morality or past political agendas or charismatic leaders, but by the very thing that brought her together in the first place. The church in America will endure in the same way as the church in China and Australia and from every corner of the globe by the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of the Lamb who gave Himself on Calvary's cross for you and for me. And so we say, but thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, therefore, church, stand firm. Stay on your wall. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Gospel work. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in Vain. Well, friends, we are part of something unstoppable. We're part of something eternal. Part of a cherished, adopted, established, and commissioned people belonging to Jesus Christ and serving in the king's household. You know how the church will endure? 
The church will endure because Jesus bought her with his own blood. He purchased her. He purchased her. And he said that he would build his church and the gates of Hades would not overcome it. He purchased us. Friend, have you been purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? Has his blood paid your sin debt so that you could be welcomed into his family? The forever family of the Most High God. If if you don't know, if you've been purchased by the blood of Christ, turn and put your faith in Jesus Christ today. The Bible says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone who calls on the Lord, everyone who calls on the Lord, Jesus Christ will be saved, justified, declared righteous, fully and freely and forever forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. Turn and trust Christ today and become part of His people. And if you've done that, if you're confident the blood of Jesus has purchased you and that you are positionally made right with God, then celebrate the truth of the gospel. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Let nothing move you. Stand firm and give God victory. Celebrate the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning we have opportunity to do that together, collectively, through communion, through the Lord's Supper, commanded, instituted by our Savior for believers to remember the work of Jesus on the cross, to remember that it is done, that our sin debt has been paid in full, that we have been made right with God. And so we do so with great hearts of thanksgiving, glad hearts of thanksgiving, knowing that Jesus has done for us what we can never do on our own. So brother, sister in Christ, in just a few moments, I pray that you'll do so. That you'll eat and remember the body of Christ. That you'll drink and remember the blood of our Savior with thanksgiving to God. With joy before Jesus for what He has accomplished for you. And if you're you're not confident of your faith in Christ, let me encourage you during this time. During this time, open up your heart to the Lord and ask the Lord to guide you that you might know Him. That you might know if this this gospel we speak of is true or not. If you'd like to talk with somebody about that, I'd love to talk with you. Even as folks respond and take communion, certainly as we sing a hymn of response or after the service, don't leave if that is you. I'd love to talk with you about what it means to know that Christ's blood covers you. Invite all of us to pause together at this time as we prepare our own hearts to come to the table. After I pray, I'll invite our deacons to come and give some instructions about communion. But let's turn our attention to the Lord in prayer. And, O Father in heaven, we pause together as as those with faith in you. Father, we pause together even now to declare with our mouths and in our hearts that that you are Lord, that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is Savior and that his blood covers our sins so that we could be 
fully forgiven. Sinners saved by your grace and welcomed into your family. And so as a church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we celebrate that truth today. And Lord, lead us to do so. We participate in communion. Lead us to do so remembering that Jesus has paid it all. Father, lead us to do so acknowledging that Jesus reigns on high even now. Lead us to do so in the company of your people, a family of believers saved by the same grace. And Lord, lead us to do so anticipating the return of our King. Lead us to do so in a way that honors Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.